But for the last two weeks, we've come together striving to redeem Christmas. And that's really been the, the name or the focus of this, um, this series that we're in. We're, we're seeking to redeem it or bring it back out of the central, well, all of the stuff that's just been added to this holiday. I mean, you consider all of the things that get added to Christmas and that, that, that fight for our attention. And here we are in, in this season striving to bring it back Bring, bring it back and, and move it away from that for just a moment. Not that we're saying these things are bad. Not that we're saying that you shouldn't partake in the traditions that we so enjoy and love. But these traditions, they, they, they compete for our attention. They compete for our affections. They, they compete and, and drown out this central theme, this central idea of what this holiday is about. And that, and that thing that this holiday is about is, is really a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And, and, and somewhere around 2,000 years ago, he was born. Somewhere, somewhere around 2,000 years ago, this miracle happened in which Jesus Christ was born. And it's something we say a lot. It's something that we often probably think about. And every time at this, this time of year, I mean, we, we kind of lump it in with all of this other stuff. Not that it's bad to give gifts and not that it's bad to spend time and eat meals with families and, and not that it's bad to enjoy this holiday in the way that we often enjoy it. But it's almost as if we just kind of throw it all together in this, in this one pot. But it's my conviction and it's my belief that this holiday is really worth celebrating because Jesus was born. It's my belief, it's my conviction that this holiday is worth celebrating because just as we spoke about two weeks ago, that in Jesus Christ's birth, we see the promises God made to David that a king would be born, that would sit on his throne forever. We see that promise come to fulfillment. We see the baby who is going to be a king born. It's my conviction that this holiday is worth celebrating beyond all of the stuff that we've tagged onto it and all of the myriad of traditions that we've lumped in with it, not because of them, but because we remember from what we, we talked about last week, because God saw it as important enough that he began preparing for this day before the foundations of the world. I mean, consider it. He saw it as important enough that he spent not, 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 not just a minute thinking, not just moments thinking, but, 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 but preparing from before all of eternity. But, but preparing before the first moment of creation began. Before he said, let there be light, he knew Jesus was coming and was preparing for that day. I mean, imagine. It's in this, I think that it's in this, that, that this conviction is that we should celebrate it with all of our being. And that's why I'm striving to challenge you to redeem Christmas, not to tell you not to give gifts. And, and honestly, I've got a lot of family here. I'm not saying don't give me gifts. <laughs> I will take them. But, but I'm saying don't let them be an end in themselves because we've seen God's promise. We've seen God's preparation for the day. And this week as we strive to redeem Christmas... We're going to look at his proclamation. 
And you'll find your fortune falling all over town. Yeah, pennies from heaven. Pennies from heaven. Pennies from heaven for you and me. Looks like a Christmas tree. <gasps> Sorry I can't ride with you the rest of the way up, but this is where my dad works. Well, have a good time. Oh, I forgot to give you a hug. Oh, I don't know, Connie. I've never declawed kittens before. How many? Uh, eight? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to have time. Well, all right. Just bring them by the camper this week, and I'll see what I can do. I'm not going to charge you. Just bring them by and I'll see what I can do. Excuse me. I'm here to see a Walter Hobbs. I'm Buddy the Elf. <laughs> you look hilarious. Who sent you? Papa Elf. Papa Elf? Mm -hmm. From the North Pole. From the North Pole? Yes. Yeah. Mr. Hobbs? It's me on the intercom. Go ahead. Yeah, I think someone sent you a Christmas gram. Dad! All right, uh, let's get it over with. I walked all day and night to find you. You look like you came from the North Pole. That's exactly where I came from. Santa must have called you. Oh, yeah, sure. He uh, just got off the cell phone with me. You did? So, go on. Go on with what? Well, I, are you going to sing a song or something, or can I just go back to work? A song? Uh, yeah. Anything for you, Dad. Um, I, I'm, I'm here with my dad, and we never met, and he wants me to sing him a song. And um, I was adopted, but you didn't know I was born. So I'm here now. I found you, Daddy. And guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. Wow. That was weird. You know, usually guys just, uh, you know, put my name in the jingle bells or something. It's me, your son. Susan Wells had me, and, and she didn't tell you, and, 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 but now I'm here. It's me, buddy. Susan Wells. You said Susan Wells? Yes. Who sent this Christmas gram? What's a Christmas gram? I want one. I think we should call security. Good idea. I like to whisper, too. Now, those of you that are members here, you know this is not the typical way that I introduce a message. That As we've done this series, though, I've used clips from Elf to kind of poke fun at us and how over the top we sometimes get about this holiday of Christmas. Well, today, instead of poking fun at us, I want to actually draw some parallels between what we see happen in that scene and what the Scripture reveals to us. See, a proclamation is really about 
an announcement being made. It's, it's, it's a public profession of something. And what we saw happen in that, in that scene was Buddy the Elf, a strange dude. I mean, he is a whacked out cat. He's, he's out there. He walks into this office. He says, you're my dad. And this guy's like, that's weird. Imagine what that would be like for you. I mean, shocking enough to have a guy show up on your doorstep and say, I'm your child. But to be dressed in elf paraphernalia and with a weird demeanor. Christmas, Graham, I want one. That's, that's, that's big and it's, it's, it's weird. But, but what we saw happen is really the people around him, they didn't know what to do with Buddy the Elf. They didn't have any idea how to respond. They felt awkward. They felt weird. They, they were listening to this. They didn't know what he was saying. And honestly, it wasn't until he began to speak directly to his dad and he used some language that struck his dad's ear. See, what he did was he contextualized his message in such a way that his dad began to get it. Susan Wells. Don't you remember Susan Wells? She's my mom. What did you say Susan Wells, he said? You see, this, this fun little look at this silly movie, man, it's kind of descriptive of what my, it might just be like to consider God. From all eternity, from, from, from everlasting to everlasting, all-powerful, ever-present, all-knowing creator to begin to speak to his people. You see, maybe in, in a slightly less ridiculous way. Now, I, I, let me, in a much less ridiculous way. God, from the very beginning, was proclaiming that he was coming. From the very beginning. We, we saw it last week actually in Genesis 3.15. Consider this. Adam and Eve had been created. They rebel. They sin against God. They, they cover themselves up and then they try to hide. And when God confronts them, he, he begins to tell them and proclaim to them the curse that they are now under. And then he turns to the serpent who came and tempted them. And he says this, he says, I will put enmity, this is Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Immediately, God is beginning to set up that there's going to be one that would come. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. See, there's plenty of foreshadowing in this verse. I mean, this is the proto-evangel. This is the first statement or the first written record that God was going to be sending someone to deal with the issue of sin all the way back in Genesis. And he's proclaiming it from that point forward. But if that's all we had, if that's all we had, if that was it, and if God quit speaking, and if God quit showing himself, and God quit proclaiming truth, how would we ever recognize Jesus it would be as strange as Buddy the Elf showing up and saying he was our son. 
I think. And, and along the way, God still, God, God began to make his revelation more clear. He began to show himself more clearly. And, and even in passages like from the Psalms where it speaks of God being evident in his creation, Psalm 19, 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. See, there have been plenty of people that have looked at creation. There have been plenty of people who have lived in history and have seen the glory of God in creation. And when they began to worship the God that they thought was revealed, it was the wrong God. It's a God of the sun, a God of the moon, a God of the mountains and the dragon gods and, and gods of fire. Gods of war. Time and time again, even this revelation wasn't enough for people to get it. You see, it was in the midst of, him, of God making himself known to a people and proclaiming himself to a people that this more specific and more clear revelation began to show itself. But even in the passages that speak of what he was doing, what he was preparing for, these people, these people who had it all, they, they had the promises of God. They had seen and experienced the miracles and the power of God. They had a relationship. These people, the Israelite people, had a relationship with God that no other people in all of existence knew. And they had the prophets of God telling them what was to come. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name. Emmanuel. Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origins is from old, from ancient of days. That's just two of over 400 statements that God spoke through his prophets. And yet, on that night, and in the life to come, they missed it. See, God had given them a very clear and specific revelation. But it still wasn't quite enough. An eternal and infinite God. He could have opened their eyes at any moment. He could have shown them the truth from afar. But that wasn't the plan. He was planning on an offspring coming. He was planning on one coming. See, Jesus coming, his birth, his first advent, the first arrival here at earth, Jesus' coming was proclaimed. 
God had been making it known since the very foundation of the world and had known it was going to occur before it ever, but before the world ever started turning. He'd been making it known to first these two people and then through promises to Abraham that his through him that all nations would be blessed, and then to a people, a, a nation, that through them one would come, and one would come to rule them and provide for them. And Jesus' coming was proclaimed. And as we'll see today, Jesus is himself the proclamation, the very message and revelation, specific revelation of God that we might see Him, know Him, and respond to Him. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be reading from John chapter 1 today. This is not a... You can go ahead and flip there. The, the verses will be on the screen. This isn't a typical Christmas passage that people turn to to give Christmas messages, but <clears throat> honestly, it's become my favorite with, with bar none. It's become my favorite telling of Christ's coming. I mean, I love reading the stories and hearing children recite the stories and sitting with my family and, and, and speaking about the stories of how the angels came first to Mary and Joseph and told them what was going to happen. I love hearing the story of how when that angel told Mary that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, that she responded in humility, that she humbled herself and accepted His will for her life and just said, you know what, God, I am honored to be this person. I love hearing and reading of the stories of how the shepherds just got scared silly when a multitude of angels appeared in the sky and began to proclaim that one had been born, the one that they had been waiting on had been born and was laying in a manger in Bethlehem. And I love hearing the story of how, how those shepherds left their sheep. They were so moved. They left their sheep. We don't know a lot about shepherds maybe in our day and age, but they don't typically leave their sheep. They left their sheep and they went and found this baby. And it was exactly as the angels had said to them. And they left rejoicing. I love reading those stories. I love thinking and remembering of those stories. But the thing I like about this passage from John, and I think you'll see it as we read it today, that John, God, through John, is not just recounting a series of events that we glean truth from, but he's telling us what's happening behind the scenes. He's telling us what happens underneath all of the events that took place. He's helping us see that it's much more than just some baby being born. It's much more than just some, some series of events that led to some miracle. God was at work. And God was making his proclamation known. Let's read it, and I think you'll see this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm going to stop there. I'm just going to draw attention to this right away. 
Actually, I'm going to pick that up first. Immediately, we begin to see a distinction. He was with God and a oneness. He was God. Something's different about this word. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This word, this man, the word, was in the beginning. That means before let there be light, before the earth starts spinning, before any of that begins happening, he was there, and he was an active part of creation. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God. He kind of takes an aside here, and he speaks about a man named John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And he turns back to Jesus. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. Back to John the Baptist. John bore witness about him. And he cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, back, back, back to Jesus, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law came through Moses or was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. I know that's a long passage. We're going to sit and we're going to spend some time breaking it down. Jesus, and this is the first thing I want to give you, I want you to get from this. Jesus is the Word. He's the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus, the Word, came to reveal the Father and His mission. Let's step backwards through these verses for just a second. Verse 18, no one has seen God, but Jesus makes Him known. Even at the end of his life, when everything was kind of falling apart or seemingly falling apart, and, his, and he's telling his disciples that he's going away from them, Philip is, is, is just longing and desperate, and he says, just show us the Father, that will be enough. And Jesus looks at him and he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And Jesus came so that we could see God. 
Jesus came and contextualized this image and picture of God for us. Verse 16, from his fullness. Of course, we're not seeing all that there is to God. I mean, God is spirit and he is infinite. And our little finite minds, we might we might understand and we might figure out a bunch and we might be able to do things like create iPads that will do almost anything for you and, and we, can com- we can create computers that, that link to people on the other side of the world and we can speak to people at a moment's notice but we cannot comprehend the complete fullness of God but somehow, somehow, some way, I don't know how he did it, the power, the knowledge, the wisdom, the majesty of our creator God stepped into our existence and took on flesh. The word. In verse 14, remember the word, which gives reference back to the first five verses. The word became flesh. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And somehow, in some way, He stepped into the midst of our existence so that we might know Him, and we might relate to Him, and that we might hear the truth from Him. Jesus is the contextualized message of who God is and what he's doing. I want you to just consider and think about it. The word was with God and the word was God in the beginning. Consider it. He was there. Consider what this means. Before the first beam of light shone. Before the first second of the clock ever started ticking, time didn't always exist, but before the first second ticked off, Jesus was there. When the creation was initiated, Jesus was there. As God's words spoke and light began shining, as as God's words spoke, And the earth started turning as God's word spoke. Fish started swimming. Animals started roaming. And mankind started breathing. Jesus was there. When the man and the woman sinned, and that darkness, that spiritual darkness fell on them, the lights went out. Jesus was there you know when he was looking into that darkness seeing that man and woman in their fallen state Jesus was there when God confronted the man and the woman and laid his curse upon them and he turned to the serpent and he made that first proclamation of the gospel known to man Jesus was there When the Father was looking down at all the evil of mankind, in fact, the Scripture tells us that everything they did all the time was evil. And He looked at them and He was grieved that He had created man upon the earth. Jesus was there. 
And when God made promises of the one to come to Abraham, and when God made promises to King David that one would sit on his throne forever and ever, Jesus was there looking forward to the moment that had been set long before anything else had started ticking. See, when God sent the prophets and his word began to be proclaimed to his people, Jesus was there. And then, and then when the time was right, and when God had, had done everything that he needed to do to make ready for this moment, the Father sent the Son, and Jesus stepped into time and took on flesh and lived with us. No longer was Jesus just there, but Jesus was here. He was here forever to be known, to be seen, and to reveal the Father. Jesus was here. I, I think that deserves an exclamation point. I think that deserves a sense of excitement. The God that was there came here. I know we don't do this a lot. I mean, we got excited and we clapped for some kids. I, I'm, we're going to try a, a little bit of interactive worship together. Can you clap for that? It's going to feel a little weird at first. I know we don't do it a lot. Jesus was here. Jesus was here. He's not just there. He's here. How about an amen? How about a praise the Lord? Jesus came here. That is something to celebrate. It's something to worship for. It's something to look at and remember. Jesus came here. Honestly, maybe one exclamation point's not even enough. He put on flesh and dwelt among us. The beauty is that in this passage from John, he's not simply thinking about that moment of his birth. But he's thinking about what Jesus came to do. Why did he come? What did he come here for? What was his reason? And there's a lot of ways we could answer this. There's a lot of things we could say, but look at what the text says. In verse 9, look at verse 9. Verse 9 says that he's enlightening us. He's, and what that means is he's teaching us. See, we don't know everything. We might think we do. And as adults, we might think we don't need a teacher anymore. I'm still learning. See, Jesus came to enlighten us. Everything that had been done up until that point, people were still missing it. There was much more to be shown. There was much more to be revealed. And Jesus, Jesus shined just like light in the darkness, making what was indistinguishable visible. 
I mean, really, we don't think like this. We don't think in these terms, and, and we don't recognize it because, you know what, we walk outside during the day and the sun is shining bright. We don't feel like we're in darkness. We, we don't feel like we don't understand and can't comprehend. But here comes Jesus. And he steps into our existence and suddenly we can't help but see that it has been dark. And his light begins to shine. And it shines, showing us what we couldn't see before. He makes the indistinguishable visible. We live. We live in a world of darkness. We, we, we live in this place and we don't understand it, but Jesus has made it possible for us to know something different. He's helping us see. And Jesus made what was unknowable, intelligible. See, it's, it's like in, in Jesus... And Jesus, God started using a language that we couldn't mistake. It's just like in that moment of that clip when Buddy the Elf says, Susan Wells. And you see a man's ears perk up. You see, in Jesus, God began to speak in a language and contextualize his proclamation, contextualize his message so that we might get it and not mistake it. The sad thing is, the really sad thing, and the scripture tells us this, the passage tells us this, that the, the extremely sad thing is, is that many of the people that he came to, many of the people that he arrived and saw and met and spoke to face to face and worked miracles before and taught, they didn't recognize him. And it was as if suddenly, I mean, consider this. This, this, is, this is like somebody being given the opportunity to run an obstacle course in broad daylight and then saying, I don't want to just run it at night. I want you to blindfold me so that I can't see. Shutting their eyes, clenching their eyes, striving to hide in their darkness because their darkness seems like light to them. They've placed their hopes and their dreams and their, and their righteousness and their belonging to God in all the wrong things. And Jesus, what we thought we knew, what they thought they knew, is turned on its ear. And in Jesus, the unknowable became intelligible. You see, before Jesus, people looked forward to a coming one. They didn't understand. They, they, all they could do was trust God. I mean, we get that picture from Abraham. Abraham is the man of faith. That's what Galatians tells us. He's the man of faith, and he had looked forward, trusting God for a promise that he had no idea how it would be fulfilled. He had no, no understanding of how it would all play out and what exactly would happen, but he looked forward believing. And there were people like him. There were people like him that believed and had faith looking forward, but for the, for the vast majority, they looked at what they'd been given from God and thought that it exalted them to a place of special existence among the nations in a sense that no one else deserved what they deserved. 
And they looked down their noses at the nations around them. And rather than being a beacon of hope and a message for the nations, they became a people who condemned them and believed that their actions were what set them apart and believed that their works made them acceptable. See, what these people refused to see, what they refused to see, that along with Jesus' message of truth was a demonstration of God's unmerited goodness, His grace. You see, what happened was Jesus shows up and starts shining like light in the darkness. And the darkness wasn't going to overcome it. It wasn't going to dampen it. In fact, the darker it gets, the brighter a light shines. And His truth was just going out from him, and people were offended by it, they were bothered by it, and they rejected it. Because their, his truth said theirs was false. See, his truth said that he had to come that they might be saved. His truth said that he had to come to show them their God. His truth said that much of what many of them had believed was a lie. His truth said that what they needed to do was not trust in their own efforts or own work, but look to God's grace. You know why Israel enjoyed a place of prominence among the nations? Not because they were good people. And if you doubt me on that, read the Old Testament. They were not good people. But because God demonstrated grace. An unmerited goodness. A goodness that, that could not be trumped. A goodness that could not be earned. A goodness that could not be merited. In fact, if you think that you've earned it in some way, you have undermined grace completely. And it's no longer grace. You see, Jesus' message of truth was a demonstration of God's unmerited goodness. These people were convinced that they had to clean themselves up they had to make their own way. They had to only depend on themselves to become acceptable before God. John mentions the law. He says the law came from Moses. Grace and truth come from Jesus. The law isn't a light that reveals much of anything. In fact, the, the law, it's more like a table that you stub your toe on in the dark. It should just make you want light. I mean, think about it. The, the, the book of Galatians tells us that the law was temporary, that the law was, 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 a, was, was a, a maidservant, was a, was a, I can't think of the word I want, was a teacher, was someone that was going to, something that was just going to be there until Christ came. And it was simply to show us our desperate need of our Savior. It's the table that we stub our toe on and it hurts so bad that makes us think, why didn't I turn on the light? Jesus came and turned it on. And His truth and His grace for those that have ears to hear are unmistakable. You know, and in this grace, in this act of grace, this act of unmerited goodness. Jesus made what was unreachable 
attainable. It all works down to this as Jesus enlightens us. That those who rejected him would be sent away. But those who believed in his name would be given the right to become children of God. I don't know what that means to you. As I sit here, I I mean, in our Christian jargon, we say so many things and we don't even give it thought. I think that's why it's so easy for us to lump Jesus into the midst of all the other traditions of Christmas. Because we've just gotten so used to thinking about all the other stuff with Jesus. But Jesus came and made a way for us to be the children of God. See, in our passage, it tells us that in him, this grace is upon grace, that we are receiving grace upon grace. I mean, well, uh, that, that simply means that his grace is stacking up upon his grace. And where our sin abounds, his grace abounds. And where our sin abounds more, his grace abounds more. Paul tells us we shouldn't sin just to see grace abound. But I can tell you that you will never outdo the grace of God. His goodness far exceeds your fallenness. And Jesus lets us know that. And Jesus shows us that. And in him we receive grace upon grace. And even for those of us that belong to him, even in those moments where we stand and begin to think we've done something on our own, His grace abounds. And in His grace, what was unreachable becomes attainable. And look at this, this, this act of grace. This act of goodness that you and I, fallen, depraved, People can be made children of God. But, but look at how it occurs. Look at what he says it happens. It's right around verse 13. He says, it's not by blood, nor flesh, nor the will of man. There is nothing that you and I have to do with this. It's not our lineage. It's not our, it's not our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers and our great-great-grandfathers that make us believers. It's not our will. It's not like we can sum it up in ourselves to choose God. It's not our flesh, that carnal part of us that moves about and lives as it pleases. Our passage clearly says that God did this for you without your effort. All you had to do was believe in the name of Jesus. It's his work. And this grace is great and amazing because you don't deserve it and neither do I. See, here Jesus is coming with a message of truth that shines like light in the darkness and coming with works of grace that we don't deserve to be taken or that we don't deserve to receive. And truth and grace standing together, they can't be separated. You can't have one without the other. Well, you can. We do it every day. But you'll never see it in Jesus Christ. Truth without grace will crush us. The law was God's word. It was his standard. And he says, you want 
to be acceptable to me of your own power. You must fulfill the law. That's the only other hope we have, the only other standard we have. And over and over and over and over and over again, the Bible tells us the law will crush us. Truth without grace will crush us. But grace without truth isn't really good for anyone. You see, grace without truth says, oh, you know what? I'll accept you as you are and you just stay that way. Grace without truth says that there's no standard. Grace without truth says that there's no real message to be proclaimed. Grace without truth allows us to do as we will, when we want, wherever we want, however we want, and not even regard the message and the commands of a mighty God. Grace without truth is deadly. And it leaves people untransformed by a message that was given to bring transformation. Grace and truth lead us to this peace with God. In Jesus Christ, we find that God did not want to leave us alone, that God had a longing to bring us back. In Jesus Christ, we see the fullness of God's power and His knowledge and His, and His wisdom and His majesty and His compassion and His mercy. And in Jesus Christ, we not only see this, this great grace abounding and this great love flowing, but we see a message of truth that says, you must believe in me. You must come to me. In Jesus, this grace and this truth together lead us to peace with God that we sit in a place where we are no longer far off. And we're no longer recognizing simply that God was out there, but that He's come here. And that when we walk with Him, this grace and truth, it brings us to this place where we recognize that we are not alone, but that He resides in us and He lives in us and He empowers us and He teaches us and He shows us the way. This grace and truth bring us into a relationship with God where we call Him Father and He calls us child. Peace with God. So, let's redeem Christmas. Celebrating and taking part of the traditions, not because they're just the traditions we've always celebrated and not in, as an end in themselves, but because in some way they remind us and can be used to remind others of God's great proclamation, Jesus Christ. You see, as I give gifts this year, and I've already been spending time preparing for this in my mind, I don't need to say anything out loud. I'm not going to sit around and make my family feel weird. I, I, well, I might. I, I'd probably do that anyway. But I'm going to celebrate giving and receiving and gifts, remembering of God's unmatchable generosity. There is nothing that we could do to match it. There is nothing we could do to ask for more. What he's given us and what he continues to give us is more than we can even fathom. See, I'm going to gather with family and enjoy time with them and sit and, and, and eat meals with them, remembering that Jesus came here 
and dwelt with us. I'm going to celebrate with Jesus in the center of my mind as I eat meals and, and sit with family and open presents and give presents, and I'm going to remember that He is God's specific proclamation, His specific revelation, His, his specific announcement to the world. That you can know hope and joy and peace. Not for a moment, not for a day, not for a season. But for all the days to come. For every day here on See, Jesus, I feel like I need to say this. John 16, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And he tells them, I say these words so that you can have peace. The circumstances of our life are difficult. I know there's circumstances in this room where people are hurting, they're struggling, money's tight, they're not sure maybe of what, what, what they're going to be doing in the next few weeks with their job. They're, they're not sure of what's going to happen with their children. They're not, they're not certain of what's going to happen in a few months. But I can tell you for certain, if, you're God's, if you are part of the family of God, you can have peace. Because Jesus has overcome the world. And in his proclamation, in his announcement, we can enjoy it. And we can know God. And we can walk with him from here on out. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are good. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are amazing. You, you, your, your truth, although at times it's difficult for me to hear, at times it's, it's, it, it's confrontational in our lives, your truth, man, it, it shreds us, but your grace puts us back together. And I thank you. I thank you that you have sent your son here that we might know it, that we might experience it, that we might, that, that we might see you and walk with you. I thank you for the great and glorious work that you've done. I do pray that we would not lose sight of this in all that we have to do in the midst of this season. And so all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.